Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God that speaks. We pray that you might speak into our hearts and minds, that we might be eager to learn more of Christ and your great plans and eager to live lives that bring honour and glory to you. Amen. We're living in uncertain and anxious times. Life is messy. Uh, Many people that I'm speaking with, both at schools, churches, people just walking in the street, there is a feeling of being tired and worn down. I wonder whether it's partly a residual from COVID last year, Uh, all sorts of different things going on. It's amazing to think that this time last year we were all in lockdown. I think this residual tension is leading to discouragement and disheartenment. But there are some of you in here today who I know that are struggling at even a deeper level. Whether it's with health, kids, jobs, family. There's a sense in which for some of you, the joy of life has been sucked out. You feel discouraged and disheartened. I had a a moment this week that kind of brought a little reality to me. I was um, down at a youth conference, children's and youth conference, with all these young children's and youth workers. And they decided that they would go out to the pub after one of the sessions. I sat there in the pub, looking around at all these young children's youth workers, thinking... I could be their dad. One of them turned to me, you know, with his cool hat on, young, trendy glasses. So what do you do? I felt like saying, actually, I sit in a bin. (laughs) Today's paper, uh, Jane Caro. Uh, thinks about life at the moment and sees it as like a bit of the process of birthing into a better life. And she kind of goes over just that whole giving birth to a baby, uh, all the pain and groaning and all the things going on with labour. And then she asks at the end of it, she goes, are we in transition? Is that why this whole world is in panic, floundering about, lurching from one painful, unpredictable moment to the next? Is that why we're all yelling for the anaesthetist, begging for the epidural? Are we moving from one world into another? The old world was exhausting and painful. Are we in the process of giving birth to a whole new world? Hopefully a fairer, less hierarchical world where we would live in greater harmony with one another, with the natural environment. Is that why we're in such uncomfortable and panicky places right now? Just like the mother and child, we know the world we are leaving, but we do not know the one we are going to. Jane lives in a world where they've just torn off the transcendence, that there is no God. So we live in a world where if you want to get the power to bring this new world in, it's all within. Look in yourself. 
That's where you're going to find the power to get through all this. That's going to get us into this new world that's going to be better, better and bigger. Today's passage, Paul wants us to lift our eyes. He wants us to not lose heart. He wants us to realise that we're actually a part of God's powerful plan. A grand plan. An amazing plan of, of newness. And it's been revealed. And it's magnificent. If you've joined us for the first time this week, we're doing a little series in the book of Ephesians. It's a book in the New Testament. Uh, it's a book uh, of the Bible written by Paul. And um, I'm coming to a real love and appreciation of this book again. It's been great just digging into it. But over the last few weeks, we've seen that Paul has spoken about the fact that uh, we, those who trust in Jesus, have every spiritual blessing because of Jesus, that we're found in him. Extraordinary blessings. That these blessings are found in him. As chapter 1, verse 20 says, talks about how God has raised Jesus from the dead as king and has now seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age in the one to come. There is a cosmic, victorious Christ over all things, over all time. But Paul goes on to show in chapter 2 that this great resurrection power is not distant or alien. No, it has its overflowing grace. God's undeserved kindness to us. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, God raised Jesus from the dead, but not alone. We are strapped on, spiritually, on the resurrection we were spiritual corpses because of our sin, but God has made us alive together with Christ, raised up with Christ, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Last week, we heard how the Gentiles, those people who were not God's people in Paul's day, once stood out in the cold, cut off from God's people, the Jews, but this dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. New life, new creation. A new body. Jew and Gentile together. Now the united body of the risen Lord Jesus. A new temple. And at the cornerstone, Jesus. No longer us and them. It's been extraordinary, this picture that Paul has laid out for us. And at this point, Paul is beginning to pray for his readers. Open up your, your passage there. You'll see in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. But then we get this little digression. A jump to chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees. At the beginning of our passage, Paul starts as though he's going to pray, but then he's, he gets, goes on this digression for us. 
He wants us to understand more about his ministry, about God's great plan. And so he says, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. As he mentions this word prisoner, oh, he's not a prisoner of Caesar at this point. He's a prisoner for, look there, for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. At this point, you could imagine the readers going, oh, that's right, Paul, in prison? This is what we're basing this whole thing on? A guy in prison? I grew up on a farm, as you know, out near Bathurst, and a kilometre from our house was the Kirkconnell uh, Correctional Centre, a prison. Uh, We would get calls occasionally. Uh, They would say, 10 o'clock at night, oh, look, another one's escaped. Uh, Look, just make sure you put your keys away, lock up the cars. Shouldn't be any danger. Should be fine. They're just trying to get out of there. Thank you. We go outside, make sure the shed's locked, go back to bed. Imagine if we got a letter from someone at Kirkconnell Correctional Centre, the founder of the kind of the church, writing us a letter to try and encourage. I wonder how kind of encouraged or discouraged we would be. Paul's aware of this. And so he wants to take this opportunity to, to start unpacking what he has to say. He uses this opportunity to speak about himself. Not to build up himself, some narcissistic leader that's only interested in telling everything about himself. No, no. He wants them to see God's great plan, God's great grace, the way that God has worked in his life for their benefit. He wants them to see that in the midst of weakness and brokenness, he's not a prisoner of Caesar, but he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Well, verse 2, he starts picking this up. Uh, In the first uh, verses up to verse uh, 7, Paul wants to unpack what God has done the revelation of this ministry to him. And so he starts by assuming that they've heard of the extraordinary story that's happened in his life, the way that Paul became a steward of God's grace. This idea of steward, this this one who's been given responsibility. It's kind of like this picture of uh, being in a Michelin star restaurant. I, I like going to restaurants. I've never been to a Michelin star restaurant. But there's Paul, a steward there, and he's got a tray. And on his tray, he's got a $300 Wagyu steak. And he's walking around, and he's bringing it for you. Paul's been given this ministry, God's grace. And it's for you. And he's walking around telling people about it. In verse 3, he explains that the nature and source of this stewardship, uh, this grace, is the unveiling of a mystery, the unveiling of a secret. Um, On Friday, we had the Jaffa Club on, 
And it was a magic day. A friend of mine who's a Christian came and did some magic tricks. The idea of magic is there is a secret behind the trick. Sorry to just, you know, if you were thinking that was real magic, I'm sorry about that. It's just there, there is a secret that sits behind the trick. And so I'm one of these people that just needs to know the secret. What is it? The flick of the hand, the, you know, what, what, how does he do that? Paul says that God's grace, this ministry that he has, this unveiling of the mystery, this secret, is what Paul has been given. It's a secret that has been made known to Paul, but not just to Paul, but has been given to the apostles. After Jesus' resurrection, this mystery has been made known. Paul was given revelation of this. And it brings to mind that great moment for Paul on the road to Damascus as he meets the risen Lord Jesus. And Jesus reveals to him his ministry. Verse 4. He tells them that he assures them that they can perceive this. As they read this, they will come to understand this mystery in Christ. And what is this mystery? It's a mystery in verse 5 that was uh, previous generations wanted and longed to look into. But now, after the resurrection, it's been revealed to God's holy apostles and prophets and spirit. The secret that was under lock and key for generation upon generation has now been unlocked and let out for all to see. And what is this secret, verse 6? The Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery of Jew and Gentile coming together to form one new body. Extraordinary moment. The Old Testament has always been clear that God has had this great plan to bring blessing to the Gentile nations. You go right back to Abraham, uh, there where God says that through your family, the world will be blessed. And it goes throughout the Bible time and time again where it comes back to this, this blessing to the Gentiles. But what about a surprise here? The extent to this blessing. Who would have seen it? The surprise in the gospel is this, that we Gentiles, the Gentiles themselves, come on exactly the same footing to God's original people. Co-heirs, co-members of the same body equal partakers in the promise. This is the mystery. No longer us and them, but people coming together. As people come closer to Christ, they come closer to each other. No Jew or Gentile had ever conceived of such a mystery and their wildest dreams. Paul was given insight into that mystery. Paul uh, was given that insight, but you see the way there that it's uh, found in Christ. 
Who could have ever imagined that instead of having to become a Jew, uh, it would be by the death and resurrection of God's Son? Or being raised alive from the dead with Him? Or being united with sworn enemies as one body, together reigning with Him above all the unseen spiritual powers of the cosmos? All in Christ. But look there at the end. In Christ Jesus and through the gospel. Through a message. Through the words of Paul. As Paul spoke this gospel, this grace, it had a profound effect. Paul finishes this first section talking about this this amazing ministry given to him. It's a ministry given by the power of God. It's only God that could have changed Paul into the person that he was. If you know the story of Acts 7 and 8, Paul was someone that was anti-Christian. He was a part of a death squad. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 7 says this in Acts. He was ravaging the church and entering house after house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. And it was while he was on this warpath that God's power worked in his life. As he was imprisoning more disciples, Jesus appears to him, stops him in his tracks in a great moment in Acts 9 on the road to Damascus. It was at that moment was the beginning of the working of Jesus' resurrection and power in Paul to transform him Uh, It is just amazing. Well, in the second part of our passage, 8 through to the end, Paul wants to unpack here a little the nature of Paul's ministry, of the mystery. He wants to unpack that a little bit. But look at the way that he starts in verse 8. Of this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift... Oh, sorry, verse 8. To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Now, it could be that we, Paul's, you know, false modesty, the least of the apostles. But think back to the story. The way that he used to persecute the church. This is no exaggeration. God working there. It's not false humility. But Paul unpacks what's this nature of his ministry and it's about proclaiming the good news. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul's ministry was to preach the unsearchable riches. Now this word is a little hard to kind of Uh, try and explain and try and put into one word. Uh, Translators have attempted in all sorts of different words like untraceable, unfathomable, inexhaustible, inlimitable, uh, inscrutable. Um, There's lots of other words there. Trying to capture just the extent of the riches found in Christ. The sanctifying riches, the relational riches, the practical riches, the eternal riches... Paul's ministry involves proclaiming the good news. His ministry in verse 9 is also to help them understand the mystery. That as they come into the light, they can see. 
and to bring the light for everyone that is plain of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. But in verse 10, he talks about the impact of this ministry. The ministry of Paul, uh, this, this ministry here, comes as a real surprise in terms of the impact that it has. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Do you some practice? It might be helpful to see this verse as a cosmic drama. The theatre is history. The stage, the world. The actors, the church. The writer is God and also directs and produces the drama. The audience. Cosmic beings, the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. There they all are in their grandstands, all looking down in on the church. It's extraordinary, isn't it? The history of the Christian church is the graduate school for angels. All the angels are appearing down here. They're looking in to see what is going on. Uh, in 1 Peter, uh, describes that the, 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 uh, the prophets searched, uh, prophet searched intently to understand the prophecies regarding uh, Christ that they've been, long re- been revealed in the gospel, adding at the end that the angels long to look into. The picture is the angels bent over intently observing the teachings and the actions of God's people. It's extraordinary. But it's not just the angels. It's the evil powers that are looking in as well. Looking in at the victory of God as Jew and Gentile come together in this new church. The picture of the future new creation that they cannot tear down anymore. They sought to frustrate the work of God. They believed they had succeeded when they brought Christ to the cross. But unwittingly, they became the instrument of God's hands. They would never have dreamed of it. And they cannot stop its process. Here is the new creation in the present day. It's an extraordinary picture of the church, us, here. Display of God's grace, the display of God's power, the display of God's wisdom. You want to look at God's wisdom? Look at the church. And this reconciling work that is happening here and now, where people from all races and nations and, and, and colours all coming together, pointing forward to that great day, that cosmic day when Christ will come and bring all things together. Paul's work was involved in that while sitting in prison. Paul finishes off in verses 11 to 12, giving some additional characteristics of God's plan. 
God's great eternal purpose, God's plan, including the unifying work of Christ, the revelation to Paul, the other apostles and prophets, the role of the church in demonstrating God's work to the cosmic powers according to his eternal purpose. All of this, a purpose that is formed and fulfilled in Christ our Lord. The result, one of the other results of this plan, is freedom of access to the Father. Freedom of speech. Freedom of access. This was according to the, centri- the eternal purpose that he realised in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We have access to the Father where we can bring our requests, our sorrows, our anxieties and our frustrations. Paul finishes at the end there in verse 13 and concludes, do not lose heart. I may be suffering, I may be in prison, but do not lose heart. Because in that we see the power of God in Christ. It brings about their salvation that leads to their glorification. Paul wants them to see that there is no weakness here, that God is working his powerful way in weakness. Well, a few things just to conclude. Note here the importance of the church. Do you see yourselves as being a part of God's great plan? That we bear witness to the rules and authorities in heaven. It's a great great picture. Notice the importance of Paul. Uh, Paul has had an incredible impact in our world. I went and heard uh, Glenn Scrivener just recently. This is his new book. It's called The Air We Breathe. And he points out that the air we breathe in the West at the moment, he's done a work that kind of tries to bring Tom Holland's book, if anyone's seen that, Dominion, tries to bring that down into an easier version. And he goes, the things that the West loves, it's freedom, kindness, progress and equality, they're all things that come from the gospel, from Paul's ministry, the very air we breathe. It's interesting, isn't it, as I look at social media posts uh, and one writer in particular in the Sydney Morning Herald has a great uh, agitation towards Christianity. And you read all the posts of Paul the misogynist, Paul we should just dismiss, Paul is outdated. Look at Paul's ministry here. Doesn't it make us want to think more on what Paul has to say? I think it also speaks to us as being an example that we ought to be an example here here is where there is life Jeff from the morning congregation came up to me one Sunday after a service he came up and he said Paul how do we get the people out there knowing how good this is here how do we get them to know in our provost groups, in our lawn bowls, in whatever we're doing, that what has happened here is extraordinary. We're going to meet up. 
We're going to talk about with the 8 o'clock how we can actually help people see that it's not going to be found the power within, but in God's power. And finally, what about the suffering, the anxiousness? Paul here gives an example of the role of suffering. But it's in the midst of our weaknesses that we see the power of God. That in the midst of our anxieties and things and worries that we have, we have a God that loves us and works in weakness, works in bringing about his great grand plan found in Christ. Let me pray. Father, help us to understand more of what Christ has done. Father, help us to be a people that delight in knowing you and living out your grand plan. Amen.